The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they all saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be. Kind of feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, you know, God is one, God is three, and it just sort of makes your head spin. And even as you go through that creed, it's like, whoa, whoa, what is this saying? But the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity is the central mystery of our Christian faith and life. Because it's the mystery about who God is, and we want to know God. So let's not let this intimidate us. I, I've had this image in my mind all week. I want to share it with you. We've probably all seen toddlers who are out to play in the yard or in the playground, and they've learned to walk, but now they've learned how to spin in circles, right? And so they'll turn and they'll turn and they'll turn until they kind of get dizzy and then they fall down and they laugh and they giggle until they can recover and they get back up with their friends and usually their friends are doing it with them. And then they start spinning and spinning and spinning until they fall down and they're filled with laughter and joy. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of us trying to comprehend who God is, right? But it's all filled with pure joy, pure joy. God is a mystery. And when we say mystery, we use that word a lot. When we say mystery, what I mean by that is we would not know anything about God if he had not revealed himself to us. But he has. And yet even as he has revealed himself to us, we still cannot fully know God because we are finite human beings. There is no way in the world the limited amount of gray matter in this skull could begin to possibly comprehend the infinite God. But God doesn't want me to analyze him. He wants me to know him. As the creed said, the Catholic faith is to worship him, to love him and adore him. Maybe this will help us a little bit, because many Christians have reflected on this mystery this way. St. John writes in 1 John, simply, God is love. I'm going to dig into that just for a second, but before I do, a couple quick things. Number one, make sure, however, we're not taking our human definitions of love, which are always going to be flawed, and imposing that on God when we say God is love. Okay? The second thing is this. Love is not an attribute of God. It's not just sort of describing who he's, what he's like. God is love. It is his very essence and being. And so this is what Christians have been reflected on. In order for there to be love, then so first of all, you have to have one who loves, the lover whom we call the Father. And then the one who receives that love, the beloved whom we call the Son, who it receives the Father's love, returns His love, and then you have the third person who is the love that the Father and the Son share that sort of spirates between them whom we call the Holy Spirit. Now, God reveals His mystery of who He is, not simply so we can just sort of know about Him. He reveals Himself to us by how He acts towards us. God is love, and He has loved us. Us. In other words, he's inviting us into this spiration of divine life and love. We're sort of spinning with him. 
Or as St. Paul says in our second reading, I'm going to focus on this tonight, through the Holy Spirit, we become His adopted sons and daughters. We become God's family. We're His children. But in order to understand what it means to be God's child, the first thing St. Paul does is he contrasts that with the exact opposite, what it means to be a slave. Because in the ancient world in which Paul wrote, when you looked at the other ancient pagan religions, what we know as the mythologies, right, Greek and Roman mythology, that is exactly why human beings existed in those religions, to be slaves to the gods, to, you know, to make them food, to do their bidding, to serve them. And, and when human beings didn't do what the gods wanted, then they acted like a bunch of little spoiled two-year-olds, and they'd pour out their wrath and their anger on the people. And then the people said, well, we want the gods to be happy with us, so they're trying to please the gods constantly, and they're making all these sacrifices. That was the world and understanding of religion and gods at the time Paul writes this. But I wonder how many of us have that sort of pagan mentality still in our own minds when we look at the real God, the triune God, that we actually don't trust Him. We, we kind of watch Him suspiciously. We think He's maybe more of a self-centered, egotistical tyrant, and then I'm His slave, just sort of a disposable pawn in His game, here to do what He says, or else, <laughs> look out. And so what I do is I, I spend my life trying to please him and try to make him happy, which, of course, I'm never able to do. It's just the opposite. In fact, we're actually slaves when we don't have God. It's hard for us to understand and comprehend slavery, I think, in today's context, because, of course, from our own history, we look at our, our country's tragic history and, and slavery in this country. But I don't know if you knew this or not, in, in today's time, there's 25 million people in what we call human trafficking. It's modern slavery. People in captivity right now, more than ever before in all of human history. It's estimated about 16 million are exploited and forced into labor. Four million are exploited sexually in sex industries out there. Another four million state-imposed forced labor. Now, I want you to just try to imagine yourself what it would be like to live like that, to exist that way. To have been captured and then trapped and then forced to live your life and to do everything against your will, sometimes absolutely horrific, unthinkable things. See, without God, it's like that. We're trapped. We're trapped by our sins. We're trapped with our inescapable destiny towards death. And we don't have the ability to break the destructive patterns of our lives, the abusive situations. There isn't a way out. Now, some may say, well, why doesn't a slave just escape, break free? Remember the kidnapping about 20 years ago of Elizabeth Smart? At first, when they captured her, they, they kept her in captivity because they, they kept her bound up. And then they didn't have to do that anymore because they used fear. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to go kill your family if you try to escape. She stayed put. That's what Paul says. That we're held in captivity by our fear. The fear of death controls our lives. See, apart from God, we're afraid we're going to die. And so if I'm going to die, listen, I might as well just be selfish, survival of the fittest, take care of me, do whatever I want. Well, what does that do? That plunges us into all kinds of destructive behaviors 
because we go after what we want, and, and, but we have insatiable appetites for what we want. It never ends, and so next thing you know, we've got <laughs> addictions and abusive situations, and we're all locked up. And then Satan moves in because he's the master of using fear, isn't he? And he says to us, oh, you'll never be happy. You, 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 can't, you can't even imagine living without that in your life. You have to have that to be happy. Oh, of course. Or he uses the fear of shame. Oh, I know what you've done. But if anybody else knew, they wouldn't love you. They wouldn't even like you. God doesn't love you. Oh, he's disgusted with you. He's angry with you. And we can't break out. We've got to be rescued. On the screens is my favorite icon. Maybe you know that. I use it all the time. Rublev's icon of the Trinity. So you have the three angels that represent the Father on the left, the Son in the middle, the Holy Spirit on the right side. But recently I came across a devotional interpretation of this that I had never heard before, and I really liked it. What this person suggested is that what's happening there at the table is a divine conversation. The Father is saying, who will go and save him? And the Son in the middle bows his head and says, I will go. And the Holy Spirit, if you notice, his head's cast even further down because he knows what it's going to cost the Son, his very life. But this gives us an idea of love. This is love. God is love. And we know it because he loves us, because he has acted towards us. We come to know love, my friends, when we put our names into that divine conversation. Who will go and save Steve? I will go, says the son. And he goes not just to come and rescue us and then say, okay, have a nice life. No, he comes to rescue us and to bring us home. If you notice in the front of the icon, there's an open spot at the table. It's for the person who's missing it's for you. It's for me. So maybe now we're getting a little bit of a sense of what happens when the Holy Spirit adopts us and he makes us children of God. We come to know that this God of ours, no, he's not a slave master. No, that who, who's always demanding more of us. He's constantly disappointed in us and our failures, never happy with us. No, no, no. He is our Father who is delighted in us as, our, as His sons and as His daughters. And that's why Paul says we learn then to say, we learn to enter the divine conversation. We learn to say, Father, Abba, which in Aramaic is an intimate, familial, like, Daddy. It gets even better. These slaves who then are rescued and they become sons and daughters, Paul says we become his heirs. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Luis Carlos from Portugal. He was unmarried, didn't have any children, no close relatives, and he did not want the Portuguese government to get his, in his possessions, his estate. And so 13 years before he died, long before, he made a will, and he went to a phone book in Lisbon, the city phone book, and he randomly just pointed to 70 names in the phone book, and he made those people his heirs. And you can imagine when he died, he was only 42 when he died, but when he died and the lawyers started calling these people up, they all thought it was a scam. Go figure, I would too. You're God's heirs. It's not a scam. It's not random even. God chose us from the beginning of time. That's, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Listen closely to this. 
The Father chose us in our Lord Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoptions to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. So what do we inherit? Paul said that we are co-heirs with God. Christ. That means whatever belongs to Jesus is ours. Um, Jesus is the king of the universe. We inherit the whole universe. Even more, more importantly than that, the love with which the Father loves Jesus is ours. It's not that the Father loves Jesus kind of like up here, this kind of love, and then the rest of us are all down here and that kind of like. No, the Father loves you with the love with which He loves His only begotten Son. It's yours. The universe is yours. The love of the Father is yours. And he says, then finally we inherit the suffering. If only we suffer with him, says Paul. Ah, see, I knew. I knew there had to be a catch, right? We've got to suffer. Sure. My friends, the sign of the cross that we are always making is the sign that constantly reminds us how we were rescued. It's by the cross. This is how we were brought into the family of God. And every time we make it, we put the family name on ourselves in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That the same cross becomes then our pattern for life. We inherit the cross. We inherit the suffering. We share in it. But the strange thing about us as Christians, we love the cross. We consider suffering for Jesus our privilege. Because see, suffering with Jesus, suffering on itself is pointless, meaningless. There's no meaning to it. Suffering with Jesus is not simply just enduring the unpleasant things in life we don't like. No, no. We suffer with purpose. We suffer for love. Remember, God is love. That's what happens in the Holy Trinity. God suffers. The Father suffers as He sends His only Son. The Son suffers because he dies. The Spirit suffers because He witnesses the whole thing, but it's all, for, it's all for love. I recently read about the Trinitarian Order. This was a religious community that was formed in the Middle Ages, and their motto was, it was formed by St. John Matha, the motto was, for the glory of the Trinity and liberty of captives. And what they made it their business to do is to go out and to ransom those who were captured during the Crusades. And so sometimes they would, collect and cap, they would collect money and pay for them to be freed, but sometimes if that didn't work, they would offer themselves in the place of those who were captured. And I thought to myself, I wonder what it means for us to be Trinitarian, for the glory, to live our lives for the glory of God and for the liberty of captives. See, because we've been rescued We've been brought home. We are the adopted, cherished sons and daughters of our Father. But there are so many, so many who need to be rescued, so many who are trapped, literally trapped in human trafficking, but also trapped in their sins and their fears, their addictions and all kinds of horrible situations. And then what we say is, no, we'll suffer. We will gladly suffer. Because as we enter into this divine conversation, as we begin to spin in God's love, see, what happens to us is just like His heart aches, our hearts begin to ache. And we become willing to make sacrifices. We'll pay anything to rescue them who are lost. We'll do anything. We'll endure anything if, if we can save them. And if we suffer with Jesus, Paul says, 
then we will share in His glory. Because isn't that the real glory? Isn't that the real inheritance? Isn't that the riches of heaven? It's our brothers and sisters. It's the sons and daughters of God together, caught up with us, spinning in His love, spirating in the divine life. Isn't the glory of God that we're all hoping for that someday everybody, everybody will be in their place at the family table? In the name of the Father.